So our passage today is Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I'm just so moved by looking out and seeing your people, people you have made for yourself, for you love so dearly, people who are made to reflect you and your love. And Lord, we have, if we're honest, just wandered so far from that. And we ask, Lord, that you would just bring us home, bring us home to yourself, to your love, to your light. And as we come home to that, Lord, I just pray that you would shine your light through us into the world. Lord, we just want to thank you for this scripture passage. Lord, your scripture, scripture is so packed with gold. And Lord, I just pray that you would help us to just sit down and, and receive all that's in it. Lord, help us to not just zoom past it, but uh, to be like a bee, just soaking up and savoring all that's in uh, the flower. Lord, we love you, and we just pray that you would, by your Holy Spirit, speak your word, what you have to say to each one of us individually and together into our hearts. Come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, when I first met my wife, Marcella Chafin, her name was still Marcella Bradford. And there was so much I didn't know about her and so much I was dying to learn. And for those of you who don't know, we met on an online dating app called Hinge. And uh, even though we lived an hour apart from each other, we were still, by the grace of God, able to match. 
uh, with each other on the app. And I just started my pastoral residency uh, at a church called Lake Church in Arlington, Texas. But all I could think about was Marcella. <laughs> we couldn't wait to see each other each week. And since we lived an hour apart from each other, that was a special treat to be savored when we got to be with each other. We talked on the phone on the days that we couldn't see each other in person, and we dreamed of one day being married so that we could have constant access to each other. That was the dream. One day we'll be married. We won't have to drive an hour or meet in the middle, you know, or leave at the end of the night. We'll just get to do all of life together. The thought was, of course, that if we were married, we would never miss each other, right? We'll never miss each other once we get married. And then almost a year... To the day after our first date, we had our wedding ceremony. And we were finally able to move in together. And, you know, after the honeymoon was over, we got back into the swing of work and coming home to see each other. Over time, life got more and more busy. And as we navigated the day-to-day -day stress of managing work schedules, keeping up with other friends and family, exercising, sleeping, eating, grocery shopping, making meals, paying the bills, and a plethora of other things to keep up with in life, I heard Marcella say something that I never thought I would hear once we got married. I miss you. Have you ever thought that about your spouse? If you have a spouse? I miss you. And have you ever heard that as a spouse? I miss you. What? How? We're married. We're, we're around each other all the time. How can you miss me? How is it possible to miss someone you're married to? Aren't you around each other all the time? Don't you spend life side by side? Well, in any relationship, it's easy to know someone is there, but to feel disconnected to them at the same time. And it's not any different when it comes to a relationship with God. The last words that Jesus said to his disciples in the book of Matthew were, Surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And while it's comforting for us to know that Jesus is always with us, you know what? We often feel disconnected and distant from him. That's weird. If he's, if he's with us all the time, why do we feel disconnected all the time? Or not all the time, but sometimes. So, you know, we go to church on Sunday and we hear a message about him and we sing songs about him and, and that feels nice, but we are quickly brushed into the busyness of life, right? Depending on your season of life and your schedule, this sometimes happens immediately after church is over. And when the work week starts, assuming that it ever ended in the first place, we find that we might read something in our Bible quickly each day or hear some encouraging songs about Jesus on the radio. But we often find that our minds don't naturally drift towards God. They tend to drift instead to our to-do list, to our homework assignments, to what people might have thought or are thinking about us. And uh, maybe even, did I shut the garage door on the way to work? Did I turn the stove off on the way to... I'm not trying to put ideas in your head. But we all have, those, we all have this tendency for our minds not to drift towards God, but to drift all around. It's crazy. We live very scattered lives, and many of us have some of God peppered in here and there. But if we're honest, 
you know, we feel like something is missing, right? We feel like something's missing. Our hearts ache to know God intimately and deeply. Our minds long to be directed towards God's love and care for us. Our souls desire to be filled with joy and peace instead of anxiety and shame. Ultimately, what are we longing for? We're longing for connection with God. That's what we deeply want. And why do we long for this connection with God? Well, I'll give you a very simple answer. It's what we were made for. It's what we were made for. Think about Acts chapter 17, verse 26 through 27. It says, From one man, he, God, made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history. So he marked out what time you would live in history and boundaries of their lands. So he marked out where you would live and when you would live. God did this so that they, and by they it means you, would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. Why was I made? I was made for connection with God. That's just not, not just a nice thing to have. It's what I was made for. Of course I desire that. Of course my heart aches for that. Of course my soul longs for it. You know, when Marcella and I started feeling disconnected from each other, she, she knows the way to my heart. She found a book. Books are the way to my heart by two Christian counselors, a couple named Dr. Gregg and Aaron Smalley, called Reconnected. That was a good book. In this book, they mentioned this. They said, world-renowned marriage expert Dr. John Gottman has carefully studied thousands of couples for more than 40 years. Dang, that's, that's a lot of research. His research in the Love Lab at the University of Washington is some of the very best on the planet. In one study, Dr. Gottman discovered something astonishing while studying newlyweds during the first six years of marriage that we believe is a great first response to busyness. What is it? The couples who stayed married did one thing better than those who divorced. They turned toward each other instead of away. At the six-year follow-up, couples who were still married turned toward each other 86% of the time. Couples who had divorced averaged only 33% of the time. What, you might be thinking, turn toward what, who, or how? Gottman's research with the young couples uncovered something he calls bids for connection. Now, a bid for connection is any positive action that you do to get your spouse's attention, affirmation, affection, and support. A bid for connection indicates a desire for connection. So I'll give you an example. A couple weeks ago, uh, me and Marcella were, were resting, or so I thought we were resting. Marcella said, hey, I'm going to put together this TV stand that we just ordered. You want to help me? I thought, no. <laughs> I'm resting. Marcella, you go ahead and, and you build a TV stand. That sounds fun to you. I, I'm going to be over uh, in, the, in the comfy room with the comfy couch uh, reading my book with my coffee. Enjoy. 
Well, you know, I went and sat and read my book, and I, I thought, man, this feels, something feels wrong. Something feels off. I feel like I'm missing something. What's going on? Why do I feel like, you know what, I, my mind, as it was trying to read, but still going back to what I just experienced with my wife, I thought, man, oh, yeah, bids for connection. My mind went back to that book, and I realized it's not just about the TV stand. Marcella is making a bid for connection. Marcella is wanting to spend time with me. Marcella misses me. Marcella wants connection with me. What did I do? I put my book back down, and I said, I'm going to go work on a TV stand with my wife. Was that the most fun thing I've ever done in my life? No, it was not. <laughs> Did I feel closer to my wife after that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Did I feel connected to my wife after that? I did. I did. I felt more connected to my wife after that. Look, what I want you to see today is that God has also made a bid for connection with you. Do you realize that? Can anyone tell me what that bid for connection is? You're like, what? I don't remember getting a bid for connection from God. What is that bid for connection from God? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is God's bid for connection with you. And when we see Jesus, we see God himself coming to us to bring us into a life of deep, loving relationship with him. That's what we see when we see Jesus. As John 1 verse 18 says, no one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, Jesus, who is himself God and is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. In other words, <laughs> Jesus is God's bid for connection with us. And in our passage today, God's bid for connection walked into a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. So let's rewind to last week. We are currently in a series in which we are looking at Jesus' vision for his church. What is his vision for his church? Discipleship. We don't see this you know, as much today. Well, actually, we do see this a lot today. You, you ever seen someone who practices medicine, practices medicine just say, oh, I read some books and now I'm here? No, they go through apprenticeship. They study under someone until they are equipped to go out and do it. You ever seen a plumber who didn't apprentice under another plumber? I mean, I don't know, I don't see a lot of plumbers, but that's the goal. That's apprentice under a plumber. So that's not brand new. This is ancient. You know, in Jesus' time, there were rabbis, teachers, who had their own disciples. And so if you were a disciple of a rabbi, you would say, okay, I'm arranging my life around three goals. To be with my rabbi, to become like my rabbi, and to do what my rabbi did. So... Jesus came to us as what? As a rabbi. And you know what? Jesus is so much more than just a rabbi. But I want you to see he's not less than a rabbi. He's not less than a teacher. So Jesus had disciples who he taught, who he equipped. And then when he sent them out, he sent them out with a mission. To do what? To make disciples. Of who? Of him. Of Jesus. And so... What does that mean? What is Jesus calling us to? To be with him. To become like him. And to do what Jesus did. 
or put another way, to do what Jesus would do if he was you, if he had your family, if he had your job, if he had your role at church. That is what life is arranged around as a disciple of Jesus. And so as we cast vision for our church and look to the vision of Jesus for our church, we need to look at Jesus' vision for all of the church, all time. And what is it? To be disciples who are inviting others into discipleship, to make disciples. But that leads us to a very important question. Just who is invited to be with Jesus? Who gets to do this? Who is invited to be a disciple of Jesus of Nazareth? Who is invited to experience a life of God's compassionate, loving, wise, powerful presence? Well, in our passage, Martha's sister Mary decided that the answer must be everyone. Everyone is invited. Well, according to Mary, at least, what did Mary do when Jesus entered the house she was in? She sat at the Lord's feet and listened to what he said. That's what she did. And to us, that may not sound like such a big deal, like what, Jesus was there and she sat down with him? Great, okay. I get it. We're living thousands of years after this happened. So it goes over our heads what a big deal this is. The people who originally heard this, they would have been astonished and astounded by this. They would have thought, what? Wait, what happened? Mary did what? Look, N.T. Wright, a scholar on the New Testament, he says this about our passage. He says, the public room where Mary and Jesus were in was where the men would meet. The kitchen and other quarters unseen by outsiders belonged to the women. Only outside where little children would play and in the married bedroom would male and female mix. For a woman to settle down comfortably among the men was bordering on the scandalous. Mary's in the wrong place. But not only is she in the wrong place, she's doing the wrong thing. She's in that wrong place in the wrong way. And she writes, says, in the same way, to sit at the feet of a teacher was a decidedly male role. To sit at someone's feet meant quite simply to be their student, to be their disciple. And to sit at the feet of a rabbi was what you did if you wanted to be a rabbi yourself. There is no thought here of learning for learning's sake. Mary has quietly taken her place as a would-be teacher and preacher of the kingdom of God. You know what might be even more astounding than the fact that Mary chose to be a disciple of Rabbi Jesus? The fact that Rabbi Jesus led her. Craig Keener says that the most advanced level of disciples included training to become rabbis. We know of no women who filled this role in antiquity. It's not that women didn't want to become disciples. It's that rabbis did not want women to become their disciples. Except for Rabbi Jesus. Jesus was the rabbi who made discipleship open to everyone. For Mary to come to Jesus in this way and for him to accept her in this way shows us something we need to see. Everyone is invited to be with Jesus and that includes you. Mary could have counted herself out. Jesus didn't count herself out. But Mary could have counted herself out because she was a woman. Oh, you know, Jesus wouldn't want me to sit down there as a disciple. You know, that's for the men. But she didn't. And Jesus didn't. And so 
How does that apply to you? You you might think you can't be with Jesus because you didn't grow up in church and you don't know the first thing about the Bible. You might think you can't be with Jesus because you don't dress and act like people you typically see in church do. You might think you can't be with Jesus because of what you looked up and watched online last night. You might feel shame about something you did or didn't do in the past and think, Jesus is looking for someone else. You might think, you can't be with Jesus because I'm little, I'm young, Jesus is for grown-ups. That, that might be your thought. You might even think you can't be with Jesus because he would never love or even like someone like me. Can I tell you the truth today? That's not true. That's not true. God's love for you is greater than anything you've ever done or neglected to do. God sees you to the bottom and loves you to the top. God knows everything you've ever done, and he's still standing at the door knocking. He must want you. People may look down at you, but God looks at you in love. How do I know this? Jesus has come as God's bid for connection and the spot available to sit at his feet, listen to him, talk to him, and to be with him is waiting for you. Though everyone else in the world may count you out, Jesus is looking at you in love and waiting for you to take your place in the room with him at his feet to be his disciple. Now on the other side of the house is Martha. And Martha was, okay, Martha was reaching people for Christ. Martha was reaching people for Christ, including Christ himself. I have nothing wrong with saying reaching people for Christ. That's a good thing to say. I love reaching people for Christ. But I want you to see in this passage, Martha was reaching people for Christ, including Christ himself, but was missing out on Christ. It's entirely possible to live mission-oriented without ever receiving the presence and the formation of Jesus. That is not how it was meant to be. But there are so many good things that God has for us to do, but God is inviting us not so much to do those things for him, but with him. That's a huge paradigm shift. The main struggle we face with all of our busyness is not so much how much we have to do, but hear me, the problem is not so much how much we have to do, but how much worth we find and value we find in doing them. That's our main struggle. Even for me, think about this. What I'm doing right now, a sermon, I didn't just come up here and start saying this. I prepared this all week long. That was really, that took a lot of work. I have to be on guard every week against finding my worth and my value in what you think about me right now. Because they can very easily become, oh, yes, people said my sermon was good today. Yay, I have worth and I have value. i got to go earn it again next week, and then the next week, and then the next week. What? That, that is not what God has for me. That's not what God has for us. Do you ever find yourself feeling like Martha? Do you ever find yourself working for Jesus and missing out on Jesus? 
Do you ever find, do you ever feel like your value doesn't come from who you are, but what you've done? You know, there, there are different stages in life, and you will find yourself busier in some than others. And I know that with a pregnant wife, I am about to find myself in a busier stage of life than I have ever experienced before. That's okay. My goal, look, my goal here is not to make you feel bad about how busy your life is. What a waste of time. My goal is to show you how desperately you need to be with Jesus in the midst of all of it. How much you need to find your worth and value from him and not from that. Look, there are many good things in life, but Jesus wants us to see that routinely, daily, turning the eyes, not just of our literal eyes, but the eyes of our hearts towards him and receiving his way, his truth, and his life. Down into the very base of our existence is the only thing that, in the end, as Jesus said, is truly needed. Didn't, Jesus didn't say, you know, those things you're doing are bad. He just said one, one thing, few things, not as many things as you think are actually needed. And actually, one of those things actually is needed. In her book, Present Over Perfect, Shauna Nyquist describes her struggle with the pressure to be perfect that we all experience and the journey to be present to God's love that we all need. And I love how she put it in this quote. She says, what kept me running? You know, the busy mom, just full of things to do. What kept me running? That's the question I keep returning to, the lock I keep fiddling with. I was highly invested in maintaining my reputation as a very capable person. I thought that how other people felt about me or thought about me could determine my happiness. When I see that on the page now, staring back at me in black and white, I see how deeply flawed this idea is, how silly even. But this is what I've learned the hard way. What people think about you means nothing in comparison to what you believe about yourself. Essentially, my identity then depended on outward approval, which changes on a dime. So you dance and you please and you placate and you prove. You become a three-ring circus, and in each ring, you're an entirely different performing animal. Anything, anyone wants you to be. The crucial journey then for me has been from dependence on external expectations down into my own self, deeper still into God's view of me. His love for me that doesn't change, that will not change, that as Jesus said, will never be taken away, that defines and grounds everything. Listen to this sentence. I find this to be a haunting sentence from her. I bet it all on busyness, achievement, being known as responsible, and escaping when those things didn't work. What I see now is that what I really wanted was love. Grace, connection, peace. This is why Jesus said that what Mary chose was needed. It's not that Martha had done anything wrong. It's just that what Mary chose was better. You know, it's like if, if we went to a restaurant and you ordered a plate of carrots and I ordered a plate of warm mashed potatoes and hot steaming vegetables and, and bread and a perfectly cooked steak... It's not that my order was good and yours was bad. It's just that yours is okay and mine's amazing. <laughs> you know, and, and the owner of the restaurant, I think, would look at your plate and say, well, that's not what I opened this restaurant for. That's not what I have for you. And that's what Jesus is saying here. 
There's something so much more, so much better that I have for you. And I want to point out the point of this passage is not that we should ignore our responsibilities and chores, though I do think we could definitely benefit from reevaluating what we say yes to in life. But that the point of this is that we are missing out on the very best part of life if we let those things routinely keep us from an awareness of Jesus. We are restless people, and we need Jesus. Augustine famously said this line, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. How can your restless and weary heart find rest in God? By being with Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. And he was looking out at a crowd of people just like you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke. What is a yoke? For a rabbi to have a yoke, that is their set of teachings, that's their way of life, that their disciples would take on themselves. Jesus said, take my yoke, my way, my truth, my life upon you, and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and and you will find rest for your souls. Not you might find rest, but you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So the invitation of Jesus every day is to come to Jesus. And this is an invitation that is desperately needed each day. And this is an invitation that is open to everyone. This is the invitation that Mary chose. And this is the invitation that we can choose to daily sit at the feet of Jesus, to cast our worries, fears, and anxieties upon him, because as First Peter says, he cares for us, to, as Peter said, hear the words of life, to receive the identity of chosen, accepted, beloved, to listen to love speaking directly and personally to you, to know that as Julian of Norwich said, all shall be well, all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well, to be seen to the bottom and love to the top, as Tim Keller says. To receive wisdom and guidance from the Good Shepherd, to be embraced and held in the healing hands and comforting arms of Jesus, and to become convinced in your heart, like the Apostle Paul, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I forget that all the time. I need to come and sit at Jesus' feet to be reminded. Being with Jesus is what Mary chose, and it's what we can choose every day. And the best part is, if you choose it, it will never be taken away from you. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that's great. How? How do I do this? The good news is that there's no perfect technique or routine to nail down in order to do this. Thank God. I would still be trying to figure that out, but that's not how it works. This is not about technique or a perfect formula. This is all about bringing your attention and focus, like Mary did, to Jesus, to the feet of Jesus, so that 
your heart, your mind, your will, and your desires can be shaped by his presence with you. What did Mary do? She sat and listened. That's it. She showed up and was present. There are no rules to being with Jesus, except one. Show up. That's the only rule. That's the, you know, I went to see the uh, retina specialist, an eye doctor, Friday. Was my job to fix my eye? No, my job was to show up and let him do the work. That's what we do with Jesus. We show up, we sit, we just turn our attention and our focus towards him. And as you continue to show up in this way, you will find over time that your mind and heart more naturally find their way to God as the point of a needle naturally finds its way pointing north. You may think it's all about just that, that one moment of being with him in time, but that moment bleeds into every other moment in the day. And you will, of course, find your mind distracted throughout the day. And what I want you to see is that's okay. These moments merely serve as opportunities to come back to Jesus. Your mind might be distracted away from Jesus a thousand times a day. That's a thousand opportunities to come back and see Jesus smiling and waiting for you. One of the best ways I know how to cultivate a mind and heart more focused on the presence of Jesus is a practice that is widely known as a quiet time. Let me be clear, a quiet time is not the only way to be with Jesus. It's not like we just give the Lord like maybe 30 minutes or an hour or whatever in the morning and then go forget him the rest of the day. No, I'm merely teaching you about a quiet time because a quiet time cultivates a mind and heart that's more and more and more aware of Jesus throughout the day. A quiet time, what we're doing in a quiet time is essentially what Mary was doing here with Jesus by just quietly sitting and learning and listening. You know, a quiet time essentially is a time that we block off on our calendar to be with Jesus. You know, earlier this week I spent time with Matt. That didn't just happen. We scheduled that. Did you know you can do that with Jesus? That's amazing. You can schedule time every day to be with Jesus. And it doesn't have to look one way or the other. It can be on a run or a walk. It can be in your car on the way to work. My best advice to you is just to experiment and see what works for you in your stage of life with your particular personality. You may be in a stage of life where you're leaving for work early in the morning, or you may be in a stage of life where you're retired and you don't go to work every single day. Experiment. That's what I do. I'm just experimenting with this every week and then coming and telling you about it. Experiment and see what works for you personally. So here's what my personal quiet time looks like. Feel free to copy it if you want to. You know, the, the point is not that you do it the right way. But I'm not here to tell you what it has to look like. I'm telling you what it could look like. It could look like this. And I didn't even invent this. My favorite author and someone who's influenced me so much uh, as a disciple of Jesus, John Mark Comer, shared this as his personal way of having a quiet time. And I tried it out and I liked it. So at this point in my life, I do it. So for me personally, in my daily quiet times, uh, it's organized around four things, okay? I'm going to go through these four things. Number one, praise and gratitude. I try to wake up as early as I can so that I can spend unhurried, 
and quiet time soaking up the presence of Jesus each morning. And I try, keyword try, <laughs> to wake up by 6 a.m., try to get at least seven hours of sleep, but I try to wake up by 6 a.m., and sometimes it doesn't work out that way, and it's okay. But I start off by making my coffee. What a great spiritual discipline, making coffee. <laughs> I'm just kidding, that's not a spiritual discipline. I start by making coffee, and you know, I try to name, while I'm making that coffee, I try to name at least three things I'm thankful for. And then when my coffee is ready, I take it with me to a cozy room with a comfortable couch. Uh, I try to, I'm still trying to wake up and do some stretches, sit down and take a few deep breaths. And at this point, as I settle into my body and take my first sips of coffee, I, I do what we did earlier. I, I pray a psalm. The psalms give me words to pray to Jesus. And, you know, my best advice for praying the psalms is just to pray them slowly. Slow down, slow down. Pray them slowly. Then I move from praise and gratitude to contemplation. We've talked about contemplation. This looks like simply being with Jesus. At this point, I'm not reading, I'm not talking. I'm just existing with Jesus. You know, if you ever have had like a baby and you just kind of sit there looking at them, they look at you, or if you have a spouse where you're ever just quiet looking into each other's eyes, it'll kind of give you an idea of what I'm doing here with Jesus, just existing with him, just being with him. I'm just surrendering my time, my day, and my life to him. I'm just receiving his love. And the goal is not to feel anything. It's just to do what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.18, to fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. And I find myself, like last week, I just found myself getting distracted so much during this time. And so I did something that they call breath prayers and just Inhaling and then exhaling, Jesus, you're here. Lord Jesus, you're here. Just kind of bringing my mind into an awareness that he's sitting with me in the room. It only takes maybe about a couple minutes, but I found it to be life-changing. Life-changing for me. And then I move from contemplation to Scripture. I find a passage of Scripture to slowly read, think about, and pray about, and I ask myself, how does this passage stir my affection for Jesus? How does this passage connect with my life? I don't want a day to go by without letting my imagination soak up God's words to me in Scripture. I don't. It's my daily bread. I move from Scripture then to listening and requesting I end my quiet time by simply asking the Lord a question and then waiting for a response. This is a practice that is usually not taught in church, but I found it to be an incredibly helpful practice. I usually just sit there and, and just end by asking the Lord something like, is there anything you want to say to me today? Or, Lord, what would be pleasing to you today? And I sit and I, I wait for a response. And, Usually I like to sit down with a pen in hand and a journal, and I just write what I, what I feel like I'm hearing the Lord say to me. And as I hear what I think Jesus is saying to me, I'm writing it down so that I can refer back to it later. And it is so valuable to just have a journal filled with all of these things that you've heard Jesus say to you. And I have often been struck by just how much I needed to hear what I heard in that moment as I reflect back later in the day. And you know, 
Then I just simply share my anxieties, concerns, things on the schedule that day, and requests for that day with Jesus. And sometimes it helps to write them all down, get them all out, and then pray through them. And sometimes it helps just to say them as they come to mind. They may sound like a lot to you. You may be feeling overwhelmed. You may be like, what? Like, Cody, I'm already busy enough. Now you want me to carve out this extra time to sit with Jesus and contemplate and read scripture and give him all of my burdens and cares and anxieties and thank him for my life. And Cody, I'm already busy enough. And again, I'm not here to give you more stuff. This is not about doing something else to get Jesus to love you. He already loves you. He already loves you. Jesus won't love you any more or less for doing this. He already loves you as much as he ever will. As you cultivate this practice of daily turning the eyes of your hearts towards him and listening to him, the goal is not so much to just have another thing to do, but to actually receive your worth, your identity, and your love that no one or nothing else could ever, ever give you. As you do this, you know, as you spend this set-apart time with Jesus, you will find that sometimes you'll feel like Mary. Sometimes you'll feel like Mary, aware of God's love, in tune with his words to you, connected to him deeply to the base of your soul. That's pretty nice. I, I love it when quiet time goes that way. But you know what? Sometimes you will feel more like Martha, scattered, distracted, anxious, and upset. If that happens, remember this. You are allowed to be a human being. You are allowed to be human. You're allowed to get distracted, to feel anxious, to feel upset. It's okay. Martha found out in our passage what you will find out when that happens. That Jesus was still with her, in her house, inviting her to share in the very best part of life, him. Let's pray.